Hello, I'm Leila Hidayat and welcome to this special edition of Stories to Change. So you can usually find me behind the scenes at Frontline, however during this extraordinary time I'll be recording from my living room. I'll be speaking to some really amazing people as well as some brilliant organisations who are adapting to support children and families during the pandemic and beyond. You, our lovely listeners and social gooders, will hear their stories, advice and hopes for the future as we learn together along the way. So this week I spoke to the wonderful Kalyani McCarthy from the British Red Cross. And Kalyani leads on Surviving to Thriving, a brilliant project that supports young unaccompanied refugees and asylum seekers. And Kalyani speaks about how isolation over the past weeks has impacted mental health, which for many young people is already fragile due to past experiences that they have faced. Kalyani speaks about the importance of involving young people in the changes that they have made and keeping them at the heart of decision-making. Finally, she talks about how the simple things can be the most effective, such as sending care packages and being creative with online sessions. So I hope you enjoy this week, and I'll speak to you soon. How's your um, weekend? Yeah, it was nice, thanks. Yeah, and um, getting used to the, the quieter pace of life at the weekend, doing, yeah, lots of nice runs and walks. Yeah, that's nice. How was yours? Yeah, well, we went on a bike ride, actually, so it spurred me to buy a, a bike. So that's uh, nice. So, but I'm rubbish, so I can't signal <laughs> yet. I have to, like, really get my balance, and then so I've been beeped at a few times. <laughs> it's scary first doing it in London, I think. Like, I've cycled in London for years, but... um. Yeah, people, that, when you're not used to it, like, you kind of just have to phase out the traffic and the fact that it is pretty dangerous. I learned how to ride when I was really young, but then I never had a bike, so okay. I'm not that used to cycling anyway. But no, it's good fun. It's so nice once you're out and about on it. It's so much freedom, so, yeah. No, nice. definitely. Oh, nice. So, I guess to kind of start, I'm going to start by asking each guest uh, to share an interesting fact about themselves. So, I don't know if you'd like to share one. Yeah, so I guess my name is quite, in, well, there's an interesting story behind my name. So um, my first name is Kalyani, um, which is actually Indian. My parents were involved in the Hare Krishnas um, when I was, well, before I was born. And yeah, myself and my siblings were all named by a Hare Krishna devotee. That's really cool. And tell us a little bit about your kind of story before you started uh, British Red Cross. Yeah, so um, I've worked with asylum seekers and refugees for um, just over 10 years now. I had to do a lot of volunteering to begin with to gain some practical experience to kind of build on the, the knowledge that I learned at university. Um, so I interned at a, a number of different organisations, including um, at a refugee centre in South Africa, um, which was a fascinating experience and I was totally thrown in at the deep end. Um, and then my first paid role was as a caseworker at an organisation called Refugee Action. Um, and subsequently, I went on to become a practitioner and, and then a service manager for the refugee and migrant projects at an organisation called the Children's Society uh, based in London. And more recently, um, I joined the British Red Cross um, almost exactly three years ago now to set up and manage the um, Surviving to Thriving project. 
Fantastic. And do you want to say a little bit more about the Surviving to Thriving project that you're working on at the moment? Yeah, definitely. So um, Surviving to Thriving is a, a national project at the British Red Cross um, that provides um, both individual and group support to unaccompanied um, refugees and asylum seekers uh, between the ages of 11 and 25. We provide individual casework uh, to help young people understand their rights um, and access the services that they need in the UK, which may be, for example, accessing good quality legal advice um, about their asylum claim, or it might be uh, supporting them to access uh, their local authority. So we do work very closely with social workers and personal advisors, for example, when we're working with young people who are supported in that way. We also provide regular group sessions, and this is to kind of supplement the, the individual work, but also to enable young people to develop life skills things that any young person kind of transitioning to adulthood would need, um, but also particular skills and knowledge that young asylum seekers and refugees may not have had access to before arriving in the UK. It's also about reducing isolation and, and giving them the opportunity to meet other young people in, in similar situations and just to have fun um, and have activities. Normally that includes outings in the local community, um, but obviously that's not possible during this current current situation. We do work very closely with, with local organisations and we have a formal partnership with the Refugee Council, um, which many of you might be familiar with. Um, in this project, they offer therapeutic support, which is both in, in an individual and a group setting. And it's across a range of different therapeutic forms, including art therapy and uh, drama therapy. You've done some really amazing things um, creatively with the project. Did you want to say a bit more about, I guess, some of the things that you've done and the importance of that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so we've done some amazing things. So, for example, kind of early on in the project, we worked with another formal partner called Uprising um, and young people were supported to over the period of, of 10 weeks to explore what social action campaigning meant and then to produce um, a film at the end of it about their experiences as asylum seekers and kind of what they wanted to see change as a result. And all 16 films are available on uh, YouTube on the Surviving to Thriving playlist. Um, and they were just an absolutely incredible way of young people being able to express themselves in a, you know, a creative way, um, but also, with, you know, a therapeutic way to, you know, to influence others and to give them kind of value in, in what they wanted to share. Um, we've done a huge range of kind of arts and creative based sessions around things like photography. Recently in Leeds, we worked with young people to create art prints, which were actually then um, produced into uh, tote bags and mugs, which are available on our on the British Red Cross website. We've also done a lot of work with an organisation called Compass Collective, um, and they work with young people in a, a kind of drama and theatre based environment um, to then uh, produce a production at the end of it. And we'd actually secured a little bit of additional funding, um, which was due to support a programme starting at the end of April, which was going to culminate in a performance during Refugee Week. Um, unfortunately, we've had to obviously push that back now. Um, but in the meantime, Compass Collective are delivering virtual sessions uh, where young people get a chance to um, get involved in music and poetry and performing arts. And they're actually going to have the opportunity to 
perform and share what they've created um, in an online festival um, during Refugee Week in June. That sounds amazing. And there's loads of different things that you mentioned there, whereby you are supporting um, asylum seekers and refugees. And I guess it requires a lot of that relationship building kind of face to face um, work. And so what has it what have you been doing in terms of adapting in order to continue to support um, asylum seekers and refugees? I think one of the most kind of significant changes that in all honesty I didn't envisage would ever be possible is providing um, virtual group sessions. So as I mentioned, a very, uh, you know, a core part of our service is this, um, these weekly group sessions, um, which are very um, interactive, that, you know, a safe physical space for young people to come to. Um, and after, you know, discussing at the beginning, very um, a, a range of different options, we decided to proceed with delivering or trialing these sessions via Zoom. There's definitely been challenges with this, um, including things like young people not having access to uh, to data or Wi-Fi, and some of them not having smartphones so they can't access Zoom. We we kind of very quickly recognised that and worked closely with um, a couple of corporate partners that we have at the British Red Cross, as well as using crowdfunding to raise over five thousand um, pounds, which we've been able to use to top up data on young people's phones um, and provide um, smartphones. So that they are able to access our sessions as well as lots of other vital services during this time. So some of the highlights, I think, from these sessions so far have been around topics like healthy eating and, and sharing recipes that young people can um, try out themselves um, during lockdown. We've done a talent show, um, a session on Ramadan and how people can um, stay connected to, to activities um, during during this period. And we've also continued to work quite closely with several partner organisations, including Refugee Council, who've done things on mindfulness and sleep and, and managing anxiety, which are all really important concerns that we have around uh, young people, you know, during this period when they are very isolated at home. The crowdfunding, is this something that you've done previously? Um on the project, we've never done it before. Generally, we work more closely with kind of small trusts and foundations when we recognise a need for kind of additional funding for specific projects, um, like on the side to what we do normally as a kind of core part of our service. In in this case, with the, the crowdfunding, it was actually in partnership with Compass Collective, and they work closely with the Red Cross in a number of different um, refugee services that we offer. And they were the first ones to set up a page which would then be used to support the young people that are accessing our project, um, which is fantastic. So that raised just over £2,000. And then subsequently, um, another one of our young refugee services quickly set up a a different crowdfunding page and have so far raised over £3,000. So it was, yeah, it was an example, I think, of um, just recognising a need, quickly understanding what that looks like and doing a completely different way of working in order to to meet that need in in a quick way. That's amazing. And thinking about it from the uh, young person's point of view, what's their experience of the, the changes? Yeah, so the, the the children and young people that we support are in in very different living situations. Um, so, for example, some are in foster care, um, and in those situations have some form of familial support. Um, others are in what's called semi-independent accommodation. Others are in asylum support accommodation, which is provided by the Home Office. And some young people are actually living completely by themselves. So it's yeah, it's, it's kind of a very 
a different environment that they're in and each environment has its own kind of unique set of challenges. Um, but I think uh, above all else, aside from the kind of practical needs and the financial impact, for example, some young people that we work with do have refugee status and have been working um, and that's you know affected their ability to have their, their normal form of income but i think yeah above above all else we're we're particularly worried about young people's isolation particularly if they have limited english um and their mental health which for many is already very fragile due to the past experiences that they faced um young people often say to us um in normal times that they they keep busy to distract themselves from their asylum claim from what's happened in the past um, and that's a way of them coping uh, and so during these these weeks spent in isolation and in lockdown one of our biggest concerns is um, around young people's mental health and well-being uh, particularly for example due to things like uh, delays with home office um, asylum claims um, and, and the impact this is having on exacerbating those existing mental health issues. Is there any collaboration that you're doing at this time which was different to before? Yeah, there, there's definitely been, um, I'd say, more collaboration with existing organisations that we work with. So, for example, there's a, a forum called the Refugee and Migrant Children's Consortium, which is London-based, but it's it's national, bringing together all the voluntary sector organisations working with refugee and migrant children. And that met on a quarterly basis previously and was as much more policy-focused. And we've had... Um, since lockdown began, we've had three conversations, you know, meetings bringing these um, these organisations together to to share what we've been doing, um, to kind of identify challenges and also look at the policy changes and how we can advocate together to, you know, create more positive change. So I think, yeah, that in some ways there's been kind of deepened collaboration um, with existing partners. And then there's, there's certainly been um, new collaboration, including um, meeting the practical needs of um, asylum seekers and refugees. For example, there was a, a local community organisation that, that reached out to us in Leeds um, who were offering food parcels and hot foods, uh, hot meals that they were going to deliver directly to asylum seekers and refugees during Ramadan. So um, I really hope that some of those new connections that we've made during this period will be able to um, maintain um, after things return to normal. Yeah, and I think that's one of the really brilliant things about uh, what's come out from this pandemic is that sense of community. So I wonder if there's any um, advice that you could give our listeners. I think a few things that we've learned, or I guess it's reminded us during this period, is just the importance, firstly, of, of speaking to, to the young people themselves um, and finding out what it is that they need, what it is that they want. Um, for example, when we when we even began to consider, which was very quick, a very quick process, but you know, when we started thinking about whether or not to even try all these group sessions virtually, we asked young people first, you know, what is it that they'd want? Do they think that it could work? How do we communicate with young people that we're doing this? What kind of topics would they like? Um, you know, and we've continued to do that. So I think, yeah, involving um, the young people or whichever beneficiaries who are going to um, be involved is, is keeping them at the forefront and asking them and involving them um, in, in what, what their needs are and, you know, how to meet them best. Um, and I think just being creative and encouraging ideas. I mean, another thing that we've done recently, which is very simple, but is um, creating what we've called care packs, um, which are just, you know, very simple, um, relatively cheap, you know, packs with 
arts materials, things like card and colouring pencils and paints, games like Connect Four and playing cards and word, word searches um, and putting those together and, and sending them out to young people. Um, and they've, they've loved receiving them in the post. It's given them something to, to keep themselves occupied with at home. Um, and we can also use some of those materials within the virtual sessions. Uh, that's a really lovely idea as well, actually, because getting something through the post is actually quite exciting. You know, um, you don't often get that much stuff through the post now. And I think it's that personal touch point, isn't it? Yeah. And I think for some of these young people, um, not always, but sometimes post and receiving things can be associated with negative, you know, negative information, things like, uh, you know, refusals from the home office or requesting information or, you know, letters that they don't always understand. So actually receiving something that's just fun and positive um, and, you know, specifically for them, I think is really, really important and just a very simple but nice thing to be doing at this time. Do you have any advice for our social workers listening? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, as social workers, I completely empathise with how incredibly stretched and, um, you know, how little capacity you have. Um, and I'm sure that this is intensified during this period, um, you know, has, as it has for most professionals. I think one one example of, of something we've heard recently that was incredible was a young person um, who's supported by our project who's very interested in developing his writing skills. Um, and he'd, he'd written a, a blog for us in the past. Um, and, and during this lockdown, his social worker was sending him links and resources for things that he could help uh, to improve his writing skills during this time. So, um, you know, simple things like that. It, ma- it makes such an enormous difference to the young people. Um, and I think if, you know, if you don't have the time to do that as a, you know, as a professional, because of, you know, all the other competing priorities you've got, linking the young people in with services like ours and, you know, others that, that do have the, um, you know, the time and activities like this that are going on. Um, How can social workers um, connect with the Surviving to Thriving project then? Is it quite a simple um, way that they can reach out to you? Yeah, so we've got information about um, the Surviving to Thriving project on our website. So our current locations are Birmingham, Leeds and Peterborough. Um, But we also have several other similar young refugee services at the British Red Cross. Um, And all, all of it is available on our website. If you type in your postcode and search for young refugees, then it should uh, list the service that's most local to you. Fantastic. That's good to know. So I guess thinking, you know, past this lockdown stage and thinking about some of the, the learning from this time, what would you want to implement going forward? So, yeah, I think despite obviously the kind of significant negative consequences during this period, um, you know, the terribly sad situation for many people, there have been some real positives, I think, both, you know, both personally and professionally. Um, One example of this, which I'm so excited about, is uh, we've actually started a virtual young women's group for asylum seekers and refugees and it was it was a couple of weeks before lockdown um, on international women's day that we had two young women from surviving to thriving come down from birmingham to our head office in london um, and they they spoke about their experiences of being young women and you know asylum seekers specifically and they suggested at the time to um, set up a women's group alongside our existing group sessions which are predominantly male uh, you know which is the demographic of, of unaccompanied asylum seekers 
Um, and at the time, it didn't really seem uh, viable because we, you know, in some locations, we only have one or, you know, two young women. So, yeah, it just wasn't something at that point that we could really um, make happen. And then someone suggested during, you know, the early stages of lockdown that actually this could be the perfect time to trial um, a virtual women's group, which we hadn't considered before. Um, so we, we've only had one session so far, but we had 18 young women join from across eight, uh, eight different geographical locations um, in the UK. And it was an amazing success. Um, so we're going to be continuing that on a fortnightly basis. Um, and it's definitely something that we want to continue post lockdown. Um, we, we've been speaking about um, hoping to organise some kind of day trip or, or chance for the young women to meet in person um, once we're able to. Um, and yeah, I think if, if nothing else, the fact that that has come out of this lockdown is um, incredible. That's so exciting. Wow, amazing. And uh, it's amazing that it's, you know, able to connect people from all those different locations. Amazing. Yeah. And do you think just thinking out, you know, not spe- maybe not specifically British Red Cross or the, the project, but do you think technology, there's an opportunity there to support uh, refugees and asylum seekers in a bigger way, I guess? I'm thinking of an example that I've seen recently with the use of, um, you know, mobile phones um, supporting uh, those who were in, you know, the, the camp in Calais. I think there definitely could be. Um, I have to say, I was quite surprised, actually, when we were beginning to scope out who needed Wi-Fi, who had access to smartphones, partly because some of them, you know, they generally are able to access Wi-Fi at college or, you know, in a cafe or out and about in the community, which obviously isn't possible now. But I was actually shocked at how little connection they can have with the Internet and, you know, with other people when they are in their accommodation. Um, and I think that's a real missed opportunity, actually, because there are, you know, there's some incredible platforms out there that are specifically for refugees and asylum seekers that, that, you know, they're not able to benefit from. But equally, as you say, you know, ways of using technology to be able to provide services where, where there is an absence of that. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think it's, it's, uh, there's huge potential for that. Um, that perhaps this, yeah, this corona crisis has, has um, highlighted. Some uh, final thoughts there. We spoke a little bit about the opportunities that it has brought up. But what do you, what are your hopes for the future? I guess more generally for um, those young people that you support. I think that as you know, as humans, I think it's very easy to to quickly forget the things. You know, once they're over even with the best intentions in the world, we, we easily forget things. Um, but I think that, you know, there have been some real positive changes that have come out of this. And I hope that they will continue um, in the longer term. You know, things like there's definitely more focus on the importance of human interaction, you know, a slower pace of life in, you know, in our personal lives and, and an emphasis on supporting each other. And I guess I'm I'm reminded of a, a, a beautiful film that young people on the project produced um, called Dreams. Um, and, and whilst I think that, that, you know, no doubt there's going to be long term financial and uh, societal impacts from the crisis, I'm confident that, that people, including the young people we support, you know, will overcome this and will remain hopeful for, you know, our shared futures. Well, thank you very much. I think that was a super, super interesting. Thank you. Really, um, really was. And, you know, some really good kind of tangible things in there. Thank you Brilliant. very much. Thank you. Thanks. Right. Have a nice afternoon. Speak to you later. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye.